so what I'd like to do now is just while Paul can stick with us for another 30 minutes or so, let's just do an AMA. So if you've got questions about anything, send them along. And also one of the things that we have going on on these streams is sort of sign, I like to call them Seinfeld-like events where people just sort of drop in. And Endeavor is just dropping in to say hi. So let me add him to the stage and he can uh, take part in this AMA. Endeavor, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's great. Well, I have a few questions here. Uh, and the, the, the big question is from Dale. What do you gentlemen think about the tensions in Texas? Is it fake or is it real? I'll let you guys think about what you want to say about that by going first, okay? This is me being polite. Uh, <laughs> I'm just doing it uh, out of altruism to go first. Anyway, uh, I've been thinking about this. Look, there are people who want to say everything in politics is fake, and there's a lot in politics that is fake. Ultimately, I do think there's a lot of just... Uh, you know, fakeness with the political establishment. Uh, but that's also true of pro wrestling, right? Politics is like professional wrestling. It is fake. It is staged. Uh, you have these rivalries. You have these enemies. They go out on stage. But, you know, sometimes when somebody gets elbowed or kneed in the wrong place, it gets real. It's not kayfabe. <laughs> it's not kayfabe anymore. Uh, and, and, and that's how you have to look at American politics. Yeah, a lot of it is fake. A lot of it is staged. And it's fake until it gets real because people are real. People have pride. People get hurt. People lash out. People have ambitions. People don't play by the rules of the team. And, and you can get new stuff that's not programmed. This is what happened in 2016 and 2015 with, with Trump. Trump came out there and he changed the rules on day one when he announced his, he was running. And that was a game changer. So whether it's real or fake right now matters less than what it develops into. Because another thing that's the case is that even if it's all fake on the highest level, people get involved in this. And if events start taking on a life of their own, they can they can exceed the programming. They can get outside what was planned and uh, you know history can start happening. So I, I'm somewhat hopeful. I I think that uh, this is a, a clear case where the federal government is obviously failing, not only failing to do its job, it's aiding and abetting an invasion. It's yeah. doing the opposite of what it's supposed to do. It is engaged in treasonous activities. And the states are in a position where they're asking, why are we even taking orders from these clowns if these clowns are not doing their job, if they're actively betraying the country. At a certain point, when you're a traitor, you get called a traitor and treated like a traitor and people stop taking orders from you. Texas would never have become part of the United States if they could look forward to the U.S. federal government facilitating an invasion from Mexico. The whole point of becoming part of the United States was for Texas not to be at the mercy of Mexico. So they're asking themselves, isn't there an implied social contract here that's been broken? And many other people around the country are asking that question. And we are entering a time when nullification, the words of nullification and interposition are starting to drip from the lips of politicians to... Uh, use the words of Martin Luther King uh, or words that he stole from somebody. That's fascinating because we know uh, what can happen when you start nullifying federal, federal government. You can start having a secession uh, event. And uh, I would love to see that happen. There's, I'll, I'll just add this and then I'll pass it over to Paul and then Endeavor. 
the left, the the left establishment is already wargaming out how they're going to steal this coming election. Yeah. There's an interesting piece about this. One of the things that they're talking about doing is if Trump wins in the Electoral College, which is to say wins, you don't even have to say in the Electoral College, right? But this is typical of the left. Uh, if, if they don't like what the Electoral College does, they treat it as this scandal yeah. that needs to be rectified. But if Trump wins by getting more electoral votes than Biden, they're talking about ways that they can try and nullify this. And uh, they're talking about trying to get use pressure on Democratic governors, perhaps waving their Jeffrey Epstein files in front of their faces or whatever, to send pro-Biden electors rather than Trump electors. The other thing that was discussed was the, uh, the West Coast threatens to secede to avoid you know, being ruled by Donald Trump. And I, I was reading this and I was thinking, do these people have any self-knowledge at all? We would love them to secede. That would be absolutely wonderful if they would leave. I love secession. But I would prefer that the blue states go first, because if a red, red state tried to secede, the Twitterati with the blue and white checks, the ultra left would be screaming for nuclear war. And we're already seeing that kind of crazy talk. Whereas if the, the blue enclaves on the West Coast decide to leave, uh, then that will be fine. Yeah, there'll be no problem with that. Uh, the, the people screaming to shed blood in Texas would not have a, say a word if California wanted to leave. And if California left, that's 54 deep blue electoral votes that they ta are taken out of the equation for the rest of the country. That's tens of millions of non-whites gone. It would change things remarkably for the better. So I, I, I like what's happening in Texas, but I would actually prefer the blue states of the left coast to, to go first uh, if secession uh, is, is really on the table. But I like talk of secession. People are starting to think about that. And one of the things that the Homeland Institute is doing is it's going to be publishing a series. It began with Texas, but a series on what particular American states would be like if they were independent nations. Where would they rank in terms of things like gross domestic product, area, population, military potential, important industries and things like that compared to all the other nations of the world. There are many, many states in the United States that if they were independent nations would be larger and richer than hundreds of other nations on the planet. Uh, and, and it's just a good exercise to try and get people to broaden their imagination and think that there's there, there are alternatives to America, 50 states, sea to, uh, sea to shining sea. So Paul, what are your thoughts about the tensions in Texas and where this might lead? Yeah, people are only as right wing as they're allowed to be. Uh, what we're seeing right now is so important. Um, you know, Greg Abbott, Governor Abbott is actually in India right now trying to make it easier to have Indian H-1B visas come to Texas at the same time that he's putting out a pretty powerful letter, uh, strange juxtaposition dichotomy, if you think about it, but again, it, it, it really doesn't matter because it's about standing up. Of course he can't do that. Horrible handicap joke. Sorry, but he is standing up in a lot of ways and we saw how many other States are doing it. It's exciting because, you know, all these civil war scenarios, there's still 6 million people in California who voted for Donald Trump, even though, the media and every one of those individuals neighbors said that Donald Trump was a Nazi, you know, and in states like Oregon and Washington, you have the greater Idaho movement where Eastern Oregon and Eastern Washington desperately want to leave the clutches of Seattle and Portland respectively and join Idaho. Uh, Colorado has a lot of very good people in it. Unfortunately, the, uh, movement of the influx of Californians have changed, have changed that state to a point where you have a, I believe a gay Jewish man as the governor of Colorado. Um, it's a fascinating time because again, everything that we've talked about in this podcast, people know something is wrong with the country, the United States as it currently exists. And 
there's hope that something has to be done because there's so much illegitimacy in many people's eyes with this federal government. And especially with what we're seeing, people bragging about what they did. There was a Time Magazine article about how in back in 2021, how they stole the election, starting to, you know, do the Google algorithm, uh, changing that and social media censorship. Um, but now we're seeing the Washington Post and the Los Angeles Times having to lay off scores of reporters and they're lamenting this. And we're supposed to feel sad when these are the people who have doxxed and claimed that, you know, white people are exclusively responsible for uh, pollution in Los Angeles that disproportionately impacts BIPOCs. People know something's wrong and we have to have dramatic examples to shake people from their apathy. Forgive me for quoting Ra's al Ghul, but I love to because you and I, Greg, are both major proponents of the League of Shadows. Um, yes, we're members of the League of Shadows. Yes, members, yes, actually, yes. Yes. deception. Uh, yes. Yeah. Anyways, I love it. I love anything that shows that the federal government doesn't care about the actual American people, but is more interested in electing the new people. Very exciting stuff, regardless of, of like you've said, it being a script. I'm a big fan of pro wrestling. Heck, tonight's the Royal Rumble. I'm, I, I like Vince. I, I, I know you're a fan of it. That's why I. Yeah, no, I, I, I think professional wrestling, it's, it's, there's a great story. There's a great pageantry. And it is something that. Um, it's really simple. We want things to get real. We want things to stop being fake. And this is an example of there's a lot of reality behind this. And it's it's exciting. And yeah. it's, it's a prelude to, I think, what's coming. And yeah. it's sort of that um, uh, amuse-bouche. Is that the right pronunciation of that French term? Yeah, yeah. It's okay. a, that's, it's a little... I, I think that's what this yeah. is. I think we know that this country, it's 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 tenuous and it can't continue in this form. And I think this is that moment where people are like, huh, 20, 26 states have said something and had Kentucky not run a black guy with a white wife for governor as a Republican candidate when they dominated every other race except for the governor, because that shows that, hey, maybe there are a lot of white people in Kentucky who don't want to elect a black Republican who's married to a white woman. That's pretty based. I like that. Yeah. Kentucky yeah. would have joined. Um, yeah. Kansas elected a terrible governor because I believe she beat, uh, what's the guy's name, who everyone loves on the right, who we hoped was going to be, be the DHS head. He was. Oh, um, yeah, Kobach. Kobach, yeah. I, I believe she beat Kobach, or else Kansas would have a Republican governor. I mean, it's, it's and then, you know, you have to wonder, you have to ask yourself if that fat white guy was still the governor of Maryland. Forgive me, I can't remember his name because he's so unforgettable. Um, would he have signed this letter if he were the president, uh, the governor of Maryland still? The point right. is, it allows you to see the states that are governed by, you know, even even the cuckish, even Brian Kemp in Georgia jumped out and, and said something, a, 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 just a supreme cuck in a lot yeah. of ways. And yeah, this is exciting. You also got to see an all in with this. You got to see a DeSantis without a bunch of control from uh, campaign managers who are trying to finesse every word. And he put right. out a very coherent and very thoughtful response. And uh, I love it because you kind of get to see, all right, there is something out there. It's like the end of Terminator 3 when John Connor is in the fallout shelter. And then all of a sudden the Idaho National Guard and Montana National Guard call in and they say, who's in charge there? And it's like, I am. And it's like, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very cool moment because you realize why Trump is so necessary to end this fake era and to right. restore, to return something. And that's, that's, that's exciting. So I'll end on that. And I'm sorry for taking so long. Oh, no, no. I'm going to add Morgoth. Morgoth has dropped in. Morgoth, welcome. Good evening there, lads. Uh, I thought I'd just pop in for a little bit since you, you gave me an invite. Is my audio okay? Yeah, it sounds great, actually. Uh, we were just talking about uh, thoughts on the events in Texas uh, and is it going to get real? So I want to ask Endeavor what his thoughts are on it and then we'll go to you. And then I have a few more questions in the queue. Well, uh, when I was on the New Year's stream, I, I said that my New Year's resolution for this year is I'm not going to be caught up in the news cycle and I'm not going to, uh, you know, get overly excited about the next current thing. 
And I think that I recommend everybody watch a video from a few years ago that Keith Woods made where he said, um, uh, the video I think was the myth of right-wing populism. And he said, you know, a lot of things that's, they're in the, they're, they look big in the news cycle now, but then a couple of weeks later, it doesn't really seem like it was that big. You know, 2020, there are riots in the street. People are thinking, is this going to be a civil war? And people this week are saying, oh, is this going to be a civil war in America? I'll for, come on and just say, no, it isn't going to be a civil war. But uh, I, I don't, I don't have very strong thoughts and I'm more of kind of just a wait and see kind of thing because, um, well, I mean, I guess I just haven't been the, following the American uh, news cycle uh, in and out. I just really got worn out on that stuff a couple of years back. But what I will say is I feel like what's going on here is, so uh, what, what's his name? Abbott, the governor of Texas and these Republican governors, um, I think, uh, is, is your name John, John uh, mentioned, um, sorry, I, I forget. I don't know the other, I forgot the other guest's name, but. Uh, he Paul. said that um, this guy's off. Paul, sorry, uh, Paul said that uh, he he's now off in India trying to get student visas for Indians to come to Texas while he's trying to close the border. Let's just say, su suffice to say that he's not our guy. He's not doing this because he is concerned about the demographic replacement of white Texans. I think what's going on is that. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say that the system is uh, running into reality. So uh, even the mayor of New York, uh, some guy who's obviously extremely liberal, a very left wing, uh, declared New York a sanctuary city. Even he is saying that migration is becoming unmanageable for New York City. I think what's going on now is because if you look at the numbers of illegal border crossings, uh, the Biden and the the, the Biden administration under the Biden administration, it's just been absolutely astronomical. And uh, I think that the state of Texas, for example, is probably just saying we we cannot deal with this. This is uh, this is putting such a strain on our system that it, it is untenable. You know, so it, it's these uh, delusional principles that are, are built into the ideology of the system of coming into conflict with reality and, and something kind of similar in Canada from uh, the last couple of weeks, as I heard that the liberal government of Canada, Trudeau's government, has even been talking about caps on student visas. Now, you know, it seems like a very strange day when the Trudeau government is considering reducing immigration. I mean, it seems like uh, it, it, it seems like pigs must be flying. But I think it's just because the system's running into reality now that you cannot have you cannot have a functional society while you have hundreds of thousands of people pouring across the border of Mexico. I, well, I don't, I can't remember what the daily number is, but I, I know that I, I think I read the, what, what was it like 3 million under the Biden administration already or something like that. I, again, someone can uh, share the numbers. I don't know the exact ones, but suffice to say it's, it's untenable. It's something that you, you can't actually run a stable society like this. And I think that really uh, that these Republican governors are kind of saying like, we, we, we cannot manage this and they decide they're going to do something about it. I'll see how it develops. Uh, I'm not going to get excited about this. I don't think this is Civil War 2.0, but, um, well, I guess we'll just wait and see. Morgoth, Morgoth, do you have any thoughts about uh, what's going on in Texas? I've, I'm a little bit distant from it, and I'm, I'm, I'm often reluctant to uh, say too much on these American issues because you get in all of this sort of constitution and and what's federal and what isn't and i feel always feel i'm a little bit out of my depth uh, when i venture into that that thing but just from what i've seen from sort of our guys on twitter i i've i think i haven't had very much time i want to know more about it than what i actually do but my impression is that you've you've got a sort of uh, Mexican standoff, if you want to call it that, between between um, the state and and the federal government, um, and and I, I honestly I don't I I don't understand what the argument is from the government to basically say, well, we you have to leave the border open. I just I just like this seems to me just so ridiculous on its face. That all I see it doing is is eroding yet more trust in in the government and in the system because it just looks absurd. It just looks completely ridiculous, uh, and I think it's it adds to this crisis of legitimacy, which which we're seeing across the West. Uh, and I think I think Biden encapsulate this uh, and this these sort of the, the, this sort of 
moronic and, and policy which I, don't, I mean are american liberals defending this what what is the actual take i saw i saw a tweet from somebody like uh, i think it was vouch who who is my sort of bellwether for american shit liberty and he was like saying well well biden's gonna have to come down hard on this um because otherwise the fascists are just gonna sort of run riot and I thought, but this is like, but you're talking about the federal, like you're talking about the government bringing more powers into itself um, and, and then kind of bullying people in their in their states and in their in their home territories where they live it's 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 <laughs> this isn't fascism this is this is something else um and i and i i just find it um ridiculous i, I don't i don't my, my take is i don't understand what the framing is to justify this entire scenario i just find it ridiculous uh, absurd i don't think that the establishment is going to have a win from this uh, scenario, no matter how it plays out. And that's good. I, I just don't see how we're going to lose from this. Uh, they, they are now in a position where they're openly defending treason. They're openly defending the government of the United States taking active measures to prevent the state of Texas from protecting its own borders. Now, it's it's one thing if uh, if they just sort of go about their business pretending to have a border and pretending to do their jobs, which is what they've been doing uh, for the most of the Biden administration. They've been pretending to do their jobs and saying they were doing the best we can, honest guys, uh, as as millions of people swarm across the border. They're at least keeping up the pretense right? But now they're dropping the pretense that they're actually trying to enforce the law. And beyond that, they are actively trying to prevent people from doing their job for them. And so this is a revelation to many people. Uh, they've, they've lost all plausible deniability here. Uh, normie cons, normie centrists, uh, people who are political vegetables, uh, you, you know, are now looking at this and saying, what the hell is going on here? So this is a huge, as, as shit libs like to say, teachable moment uh, yeah. that we can take advantage of. Uh, and I just don't see how they're going to spin this in the end to their advantage. Even if Greg Abbott, being a Republican, totally messes this up, uh, that's not going to change things. The again, we have to we have to raise the question: uh, what is a what is the criterion of success here? Uh, for me, I'm a metapolitics guy, and I'm just thinking about what truths this uh, reveals about how the system works and how this affects the legitimacy of the system. As, uh, as more got points out, and this is a yeah. great opportunity. Go ahead. Yeah, one thing. Uh, I mean, funny thing you said. You're, you're a meta politics guy. I, I've I've been saying that for the last couple of days, and I've got, gotten my fair share of haters now over that. But that's that's neither here nor there. Um, uh, I feel that a lot of this stuff screams of desperation. Um, uh, to borrow a, for an unfortunate quotation from a couple of years ago, I feel like with the migration issue, the establishment is basically say, saying screw your optics, I'm going in. Uh, and and for, if, if you uh, know the the source of that quote, well, it, it's obviously not, not a very positive one, but nonetheless, um, when you look at the migration numbers for like, let's take Canada, for example, my country, um, uh, even uh, like five, six years ago, Canada had the highest percentage of, uh, uh, the highest rate of migration of any Western country. Uh, the, the population, uh, it's increased now, but around was around 36 million uh but they were uh, canada was allowing in about 350,000 immigrants a year that's one percent of the population which is which is it's it's madness but uh fast forward to today that was like five six years ago the numbers are over 500,000 uh, this uh, for, for canada alone if you compare that to the migration numbers of america the overall numbers are lower but per capita it's just it's just off the charts 
And it just, and you know, Canada going through this um, cost of living crisis primarily because of rent. You know, rent is, is, is the rent prices are just going absolutely astronomical. And it's mostly because the, the population is just art, being artificially inflated at such a, a crazy rate. And you see that that's what's going on in the United States. That's what's going on in Britain, in Italy, Germany, all of these countries, the migration numbers have just been cranked up to 11 in the in the past two, three years. I feel that uh, it's kind of the, like Morgoth mentioned, the crisis of legitimacy that they realize that, you know, the, the narratives which have granted them legitimacy are really wearing off. You, you see that there's just discontent across the board uh, with the establishment. And I think that what they're trying to do as well, let's just get this done as fast as possible so that, well, we can, we can deal with it later. But if, you know, if we try to do this, uh, the, if we try to do this at the more steady rate we had been doing, which was already crazy how fast it was happening earlier, if we try to do that, we're going to run out of time. So let's just do it as fast as possible. I feel that that's what's going on. So I, I, I guess I sense kind of desperation on the part of the by of the Biden administration and the establishment at large that they basically just cranked uh, immigration up to to levels that would have been even a couple of years ago would have been unthinkable. I feel like that's what's going on here. Yeah, they're not slow boiling the frog anymore. And uh, something predictable is happening. Uh, we're having some predictable results. I have a couple other questions here. Uh, I have somebody writing in under the name of Abbott. I don't think it's uh, Abbott from Texas. Abbott wants to know, what are the two best and two worst books you've read in the last year? So guys, think about that. What are the two best and two worst books you've read in the last year? I'll go first to give you time. Uh, and I want uh, I want to say, first of all, that in the last year, I'm just going to take uh, take that to mean uh, a year back from today, okay? Because actually, uh, a couple of books, I want to talk about a couple of books that I've read just in the past couple of weeks. Uh, so the best book, okay, the best book I've read this year, number one, uh, A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. This is a book that was written by a, a guy who basically became bipolar and killed himself at the age of 31. It was never published during his lifetime. His mother uh, finally got it published and it won a Pulitzer Prize, I believe in 1981. I think it was published in 80, won a Pulitzer Prize in 81. It is one of the funniest, it, no, it is the funniest book I've ever read, but it's also kind of profound. Uh, it's, it's the story of a grotesquely fat, pretentious, slightly crazy buffoon uh, named Ignatius Riley living in, in New Orleans in the 1960s and just his misadventures. Uh, but it's quite fascinating. And I'm thinking of writing an essay about it because uh, it, although it was written in the 1960s, the guy who wrote it uh, was very perceptive and not politically correct. And it's very interesting how he explores, uh, for instance, uh, I think her name is Myra or Myrna, Myrna Minkoff, the, uh, the Jewish sex-obsessed Jewish communist uh, agitator uh, or this uh, this Jewish family, the Levies, who own a factory uh, and are absolutely besotted on uh, psychoanalysis. And the, the mother, uh, Mrs. Levy, uh, basically uh, takes this old woman who works at the factory uh, on a sort of a pet slash experiment. Uh, and it's, it's just a fascinating, you know, and just toys with this woman. Uh, and... and it also has a very interesting racial dynamics, uh, uh, you know, sex and gender issues. They're, they're very hilarious portrayals of gays and lesbians in, in 60s uh, New Orleans. Uh, it's very PC, uh, un-PC, I should say. Uh, and this book could never get published today, but it's now considered an absolute classic, but it's a very problematic book and it's quite hilarious. So that's that's one of the best books I read in the last year. And just to be brief on the other one, uh, I'll just uh, recommend my own book, uh, the, uh, 
the trial of Socrates, which I'm very fond of, uh, that that's really stood up. Now, the worst books I've read this year, uh, I guess the worst the the worst book I read was this little book by Ava Bran, uh, not Brown Bran. Uh, she's a dean and former professor, retired dean and professor at St. John's College in Annapolis. She's written a number of books that are that are quite good. Uh, but she wrote a little book called Is Equality an Absolute Good? And I thought, yes, this is interesting. Somebody's writing a critique of equality. Uh, the, the, it's just this breezy, uh, digressive essay that goes absolutely nowhere. Uh, it's, it's very disappointing. Uh, and, and finally, I, I just sort of threw it down in disgust. Uh, I, I have this little saying, I'll share it with the world for the first time. I never read bad books. I start bad books, but I seldom finish them because when I decide they're bad, I throw them down in disgust. And, and I threw this book down in disgust. I almost got to the end because it was rather short. I thought, ah, I'll just, I'll just plow through. And eventually I said, no, life's too short. Life is too short for bad books. And I, I threw it down in disgust. So that, that was a very, very disappointing book. And I'm trying to think of another book that I read in, in the last year that was uh, massively disappointing. Uh, and, and nothing's coming to mind. Uh, so uh, I'll just pass it on. Uh, let's go to Morgoth first. Morgoth, uh, do you have any best and worst books of the last year that you'd like to share with us? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> the, I'll, I'll go with the best one, the best two uh, was I've, I recently did a review of this on the Substack. Uh, it's called Legend by David Gemmel. It's just a standard fantasy book, um, and I wanted to I wanted to just pick up a good old fashioned fantasy book which hadn't been politicized to death, like so much of like say Lord of the Rings or even Dune to a degree. And I thought I wanted to explore a little bit where it hasn't been touched by modern politics and all of this. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I, I like the themes of it. I like the themes of male aging and all this kind of thing. Um, so that would be one of the, the the best ones. Another one which I liked was called The Coming Caesars, um, which is a sort of Spenglerian take where he compares America to Rome. Um, and I, I did find that it was a little bit sort of... He, he, his, he had some liberal priors, which became more and more prominent as the book went on. So he goes... He he begins with sort of the beginning of America and the, he he puts Europe in the role of of the Greek world and America in the Roman world in this sort of Spenglerian way and that that's all I love all of that, um, but then when he gets to things like World War Two it it became more that he was just explicitly thought that liberalism is the way to go and I was a little bit disappointed but it it was it was it was good nevertheless the worst would be, um, a, this is a bit of a story behind this. I was out on a day trip in the countryside and I came across a, a little shop somewhere um, and I found a, a book, like a tourist shop, and it was all about the countryside and English history and things. And I found a book which I picked up because I was I was getting carried away in the moment called The Land of the Green Man. I was after a book about sort of British mythology and, you know, paganism and things. And this was by uh, Carolyn Larrington. Um, and I, I should have known because on the front it has the green man of Albion, but he looks sort of gay and he looks like a sort of Jesus figure. And then in the introduction, so it was too late. I got the book because it was in the heat of the moment. And then I'll just read you from the introduction. There's a bit, uh, she says, uh, Neil Gaiman gives a, a glowing review of this as well. And she's Gaiman's 2005 novel, uh, Announced Boys, brings the West African spider and trickster god via the Caribbean to the streets of London. Ben Aranovich's Rivers of London series imagines a new black mother, Thames, who has taken over the tidal reach of the river from old father Thames and whose daughters, saucy nymphs and severe demigoddesses, are the lost rivers of London. And, and so it's like... Here she says, uh, this is still the introduction, it's like hybridizing old traditions of the supernatural with new figures drawn from London's immigrant communities is a bold, interesting move on the part of these two fantasy writers. 
So she's she's doing this thing where it's like it's all one continuous story, and all of these immigrants and these uh, black mother Thames instead of old father Thames and Africa, Jamaican spiders and the, from the Caribbean, and, and it's it's just like this is all continuous. This links seamlessly with the the the, the ancient history of um british mythology and and i it just sickens me it, it just sickens me to the pit of my stomach the, the way they slip this <laughs> subversive message in there everywhere and i complained about it i complained about this book on twitter and survive the jive it was like yeah just throw that rubbish in the bin and instead read the mythology of the british isles by jeffrey ash uh, which i got that for a few pound off uh, ebay and it's much better. Or just on the back, it says, with its tales of giants and fairies, druids and saints, King Lear, King Arthur and old King Cole, the legendary history of Britain and Ireland draws on mythology, comparable. So Geoffrey Ash is, is the man to go for, and not Caroline Langerington on that. Ash's book is obviously quite a bit older, but um, that, that, would, that would be my picks, I think, of the, the ups and downs of me reading this year. That's interesting. Paul, I know you need to go soon. Uh, do you want to share a couple best and couple worst books of the last year? Yeah, real quick. Uh, this is by Professor Jeff Flynn Paul, Not Stolen, The Truth About European Colonialism and the New World. It's a great book You know that simply says, no, America wasn't stolen. Columbus wasn't the bad guy. Uh, I love reading anything I can about uh, interactions, interactions between Europeans and Amerindians and the uh, country that Europeans were creating on the North American continent as we disperse the various warring Indian tribes. And this is a great one. I have no remorse of what we did to the Indians, um, nor do I think they have any remorse with what they did to the white settlers and the pioneers who were trying to conquer the vast wilderness. And this is a very good book. The book that I would say is the worst, uh, Greg and I both have a predilection to watching uh, movies, love staying current with pop culture. I picked up a book by Joanna Robinson called MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, and I realized how awful the Marvel Universe and what was created uh, has been for cultures <laughs> as I read that book about the um, about the. Disney buying Marvel and what they then created this just insepid, boring, uh, tiresome, uh, multi-iteration series that has now kind of worn itself out. And as we've seen at the end of 2023 with the Ant-Man and the Captain Marvel movies bombing severely, no one cares anymore. Uh, once you killed off the white guys of, you know, Captain America and Iron Man with Robert Eddie Jr., Chris Evans, respectively, you lost the appeal. And there are some fascinating things in the book, but it's just like, wow, I don't care about any of this pop culture crap anymore. And that that was that's why I would say that's the worst book. Excellent. Endeavor, what about yourself? Well, I have a few to choose from. I was trying to think, I'd decide which ones I wanted to choose. But I think for the two best books that I've read in this pa this past year, I'm going to go with Heart of a Dog by Mikhail Bulgakov. It's a uh, satire book written in the, in the 1920s. He was a Russian writer uh, who wrote this book in the early Soviet era, just a few years after the Bolshevik Revolution. But uh, his book wasn't actually published for decades, for decades and decades after. Uh, it was written in 1925, but it, was, it wasn't even published in the Soviet Union until I think 1987 or something. And it, you can see why, because I got to say, Bulgakov had balls writing that in those days, because it is some cutting uh, satire against, uh, the, against communism and the, uh, and the ungodly, horrific Bolshevik regime, which had, had just taken over the country when he wrote the book. Uh, so that, that one's def that's probably one of them. I'd say uh, another one would be Sam Francis's book, Beautiful Losers, uh, the one about the American conservative movement. And y y when you read this book, you feel like he, is, he wrote it today, but then you realize that it's, it's, it's a collection of essays that Sam Francis wrote, uh, wrote over the years. So it's not really one book, but it, when you realize that this was written, that these were written in the 1980s, you'd think that the guy had a crystal ball because the way that he 
perfectly captures how uh, it's just the utter failure of the conservative movement and, and really what's wrong with it. You know, it, we talked about um, you guys just mentioned a, a, a while back that last week was Martin Luther King Day, or as I call him, uh, it was Nelson Luther Floyd Jr. Day. Um, and Sam Francis had this brilliant essay in that book about, you know, what that says about America making this guy who was frankly just this anti-white, black, racial communist who was who wanted everything that we're ha that's happening now. That, like the fact that he he's been made the most revered figure, what this really says for the future. And he goes on to talk about like white people being, uh, they didn't have the word canceled back then, but sacrificed uh, on the altar of Dr. King every year. It's it's just brilliant stuff. That's what, and that's and that's just one of the many essays that he has in there, which are just spot on. So uh, definitely Sam Francis's uh, book, which is really just a collection of essays of beautiful losers. The two worst I've read. Um, one of them is the book uh, Civilization and Its Discontents by Sigmund Freud. You know, I, I was uh, I, a few months ago, if you might, some people might remember that I went on a rant about Sigmund Freud on countercurrents. Uh, I think that uh, that was that was pretty fun because that was something I wanted to get off my chest because I had just been reading some of his books around that time. Uh, you know, it, you just feel the entire book that it's some guy who doesn't understand why the world doesn't share his own disgusting, perverse sexual fantasies. And he's psychologizing the rest of the world. He's saying that, well, there must be something psychologically wrong with the rest of the world because they don't also think about children engaging in sexual stimulation like Sigmund Freud does. And, well, uh, need I mention his, his ethnic background? We all know he was a member of the tribe. The other uh, book that I didn't like. Um, now, I will say that this book had some useful themes. I think it actually had very useful themes. It was... Um, uh, the managerial revolution by, uh, by, um, well, what's his name? Uh, James Burnham. Uh, now I will say that it's a useful theory. I think he actually was correct about a lot of it, but it was so incredibly boring. I got, uh, I got about 20% into the book. And since, you know, I'd already read other books by, uh, I already read things that Sam Francis had, had wrote about Burnham. And I read, a, uh, I read a few other people have spoken about him. I thought, Okay, I think I get the idea. I think I'm gonna just uh I think I'm just gonna quit here. I think I got the idea. So no disrespect to James Burnham. He was an intelligent guy, he described a lot of things correctly, but that book was was dry it was drier than the Saharan Desert. Well, that is is interesting. I, I would like to have a conversation with you about civilization and its discontents because I actually thought that that was a, a remarkably honest book by Freud. Uh, he wrote it near the end of his life. And he was, uh, certain, certain things were dawning on him. Uh, certain realities were uh, uh, getting through to him. And it, it really reads as a, as a kind of repudiation of his book, The Future of an Illusion, which is his anti-religious book. And the future of illusion of an illusion is a dialogue between Freud as an advocate of progress and a skeptic who is critical of progressivism and defends religion. And when you read Civilization and Its Discontents, you realize that voice of the skeptic had, had been percolating in Freud's so we say, say unconscious uh, for a while. And uh, he was coming around to a position that was uh, certainly anti-progressive uh, near the end of his life. I, so I, I think that's a really interesting topic to, to have a conversation about someday. Um, I have a question here from uh, Miko. Miko uh, wants to take advantage of the fact that all four of us are movie buffs. Yes, uh, if you're movie haters out there, you're not going to like this, but uh, Miko wants uh, us to talk about movies. And so the question is, what were your favorite movies of 2023? And are you looking forward to anything in 2024? And I can give a really short answer to that because honestly, there were not many movies that I liked in 2023. 
I didn't like Napoleon. I really didn't like Napoleon. I'm just trying to think of the movies I actually went and saw in a theater. I, I went and saw Barbie, and I didn't like Barbie at all. I, I went and saw Napoleon, did not like Napoleon at all. And I saw Oppenheimer, and I thought that the first two hours of it, two hours and 20 minutes or so, was great. And I just thought that uh, Nolan let it run on a little too long. Uh, and it's not first-rate Christopher Nolan, but even sort of B- Christopher Nolan is head and shoulders above most other filmmakers. And honestly, honestly, I didn't see anything else that I wanted to see in a theater last year at all, with the exception of The Boy and His Heron. I think that's the title of it, the new Miyazaki film. But I couldn't see that. The only option I had to see it was in Japanese. And I'm sorry, it would have been completely wasted on me entirely in Japanese. So that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most in uh, 2024 is to finally be able to see the Miyazaki film. Some other things to look forward to in 2024. Well, uh, we will see the next uh, installment, this the second and final installment of uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune. I am not looking forward to that, but I will go uh, dutifully see it and write something about it. Uh, I promise you. So that is definitely something I will see. I also last year really liked uh, the the series Andor, the Disney Star Wars Andor series, which Morgoth was the one who. Uh, got me to watch that. And I, I thought that was really excellent, actually. So I'm looking forward to a second season of Andor. There's a movie coming out with Ryan Gosling in it uh, this year, directed by David Leitch, or Leitch, L-E-I-T-C-H, called The Fall Guy. Uh, Leitch started out as a uh, stuntman, and then he did a number of movies. And he, he did a very entertaining movie last year that I saw early on last year. So I think it was 2023. Yeah, it was called Bullet Train. I I actually found that very entertaining. And uh, so anyway, I'm looking forward to seeing Fall Guy because it has Ryan Gosling in it. And he's, he's sort of my favorite male actor today. I think he's got great He's, he's, you know, he was wasted in, in, in Barbie. <laughs> uh, and he was certainly the only good thing in Barbie. And, and that was a huge waste. So yeah, there's not much else that I, I know about. I, I was kind of hoping to see the maestro, uh, the, the, the Leonard Bernstein movie with, I can't, I can't think of his name now, uh, Bradley Cooper. I, I think that's worthwhile. That came out last year. I just haven't gotten around to seeing it. So those are some thoughts. Let's go first to Paul, if you're still with us. What were your favorite movies from last year? And are you looking forward to anything from this year? God, 2023 was a desolate year for movies. If you went to the theater, I saw John Wick 4, which I almost walked out on. The first John Wick was quite good. Um, the subsequent Entities into that franchise were terrible. The fourth one basically made him a Superman type character who was impervious. It was awful. I will say that I did like the flash uh, just because they brought back Michael Keaton's Batman, the best of the big screen Batman uh, characters. So they brought back his interpretation of the dark Knight, and it was quite good. And there's some very touching moments in that um, of trying to go back and change things. And uh you know, knowing how weird the main actor is, I forgot his name, who played the Flash, the Jewish guy, just how odd he was. That completely destroyed the Zack Sn- That was basically the end of the Zack Snyder um, uh, attempt to make the DC universe, although I think they came out with one more Aquaman with Jason Momoma. Uh, like you, though, I will say this. I'm very excited about the Fall Guy. The Fall Guy was... One of my earliest memories, I was born in 84, so one of my earliest memories was the Fall Guy TV show with Lee Majors. And uh, was Fair Fawcett in that? Am I wrong in that? I, I don't recall. I don't so recall. The Fall, Guy, the Fall Guy was a TV show that was very, very famous. It's an awesome 
show that glorifies this stuntman played by Lee Majors. And I had no idea they were making this, and I cannot wait to see it. The trailer is amazing. There was a movie with um, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. It wasn't The Other Guys. Uh, I forgot the name of it that came out. It's a very good film. The Other Guys had Wahlberg and that insufferable Will Ferrell. But um, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe were awesome in this 1970s uh, set film. Forgive me, I can't remember the title. Uh, I actually enjoyed Barbie. Uh, Gosling, of course, the <laughs> uh, return of the patriarch. He's the only one who got a nomination uh, for best supporting male actor, which I think is very funny. Uh, Barbie wasn't bad, but no, I'm very much looking forward to the fall guy. Have no desire to see Dune 2. Um, have no desire to see Venom 3, Deadpool 3. I mean, 2024, it, it's awful. I mean, the only good stuff is is coming out on streaming. and um, I mean, I, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't point out that I do like the Lee Child uh, series Reacher because it's one of the last shows on Amazon where you're going to see a badass six foot two, two thirty white guy kicking ass. Um, you know where he's not looked at as some buffoon character. And uh, the Reacher series again, it's basically a Tom Clancy esque. Oh, American soldiers are virtuous. Uh, they're great. They're amazing. Uh, Jack Ryan type show, but you know what? It would be great if we actually had that. And if we had that, you would want to, you would want to espouse the idea that, you know, there is something to, um, to venerating those who believe that the state should have the monopoly on violence. And uh, the guy who plays Jack Reacher, I've heard is going to be cast as the next Batman and James Gunn's uh, interpretation of the DC universe. And that would be pretty cool because I don't know, Greg, we've never talked about the Justice League, uh, Batman, Superman, um, Ben Affleck casting. I actually like that because I think that's a very good interpretation of the Dark Knight, a big, you know, six foot two, six foot three white guy who plays the character. So, yeah, I, I thought Affleck had some gravitas in that. Uh, I wasn't crazy about the the movies so much, but the casting. Yeah, let's let's have a show where we talk about some of the recent uh Batman things, including the Robert Pattinson one. Uh, that would actually be fun. Uh, we're both uh, definitely Batman nerds. A another movie that will be uh, coming out this year is Robert Eggers, who directed The Witch and The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse I did not like, but he also directed The Northman, which I thought was really quite good. He's doing a remake of Nosferatu. Hmm. Yeah, one of the things that's uh, just overwhelming is the number of remakes. Oh, it's awful. Uh, I yeah, I didn't know that The Fall Guy was a remake of the TV series. Uh, Actually, Rick, if I could, if I could read real quick, we've got Venom 3, Gladiator 2. Oh, God. We've got Joker, Fouladou, forgive me for my horrible French. We've got another Transformers. We have the long-awaited sequel to Beetlejuice coming out. Oh, please. Yeah, I, uh, even if it's good, I don't want it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we have, we have a sequel to Twisters coming out. The, the, the 1995, 96 movie with Bill Paxton, there's a sequel to that coming out. I mean, that's how inept we are right now in, um, in Hollywood and how fearful they are of green, uh, green lighting uh, original stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, Morgoth, uh, what do you recommend from last year, if anything? And are you looking forward to anything from this year? I actually haven't got anything, any movies to recommend that came out in 2023. I, I watched, uh, I didn't watch Barbie. Uh, that was a, a sort of a law that I made for myself. But I, I, I watched the Napoleon and my, my views on that are the same as everybody else's. I watched Oppenheimer. Which I did. I mean, if if anything, I would say Oppenheimer was probably the best uh, film that I saw. I would say that. Um, but but what got on my nerves was just how loud the soundtrack was, and I know everybody's complained about that. And like Nolan's come out and sort of excused it and said it's part of the artistic experience. But I, I found it. I found it. I found it painful. It, I just. I also thought the soundtrack was just rubbish. Um, and it was just so loud and overwhelming. It was louder than nuclear bombs, but I, I just thought that that was too much. But if I had to, if I had to name one 
film, then it would probably be that one, I suppose. Um, and as for next year, I've got nothing to look forward to at all. Maybe I'll give that June, uh, the second June, a watch. But uh, that's it. The thing that, that I will... Uh, there was a Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio thing called something about the moon, something about killing the moon or something. Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes, I, I I think I'll I'll give that a watch just because I like that I like that combination. Um, yeah, it's you've... it's a good Scorsese crime movie. It's another gangster movie, this time mm. set in the 1920s on an Indian reservation in Oklahoma. Uh, I I forgot uh, that I I I saw that last year and I I thought that was actually a quite worthwhile film. So yeah, yeah. that that's definitely something to to look at. I watched. I watched one thing this year, and I was like, okay, it's it called Rebel Moon, and and it was by um, Zack Snyder. And I thought, well, why isn't this getting any attention? It's Zack Snyder. I know that he's done good stuff in the past. Um, I'm going to put it on. I'm going to switch my brain off. Because I thought even if it's bad, it's going to have um, it's going to have something in there. You know, it, it, maybe it's a bit too far out there for the mainstream. And it was just, it was just like a, a streaming episode of like Obi Wan Kenobi or those terrible things that they're doing with Star Wars, not Andor, which was excellent. Um, and I was, I, I just, it's like every cliche: the girl boss, the diversity, the the, the message. It was a, apparently it was a Star Wars script that got scrapped or something like that. It was, it was just crap. And, and I thought, like, this is it. This is this. Sewage is just what this is just the norm now, and I mean, me and Endeavor will be doing classic movies tomorrow, our our monthly stream. And this month, I, I picked Carlito's Way, and I just watched it before. And you know, I, I, you just think, and I was saying, to Endeavor, there's no political takes on this really. There's not much in the way of philosophy, or you know, we can get in with some deep dives that we've done on others. But it's just a great solid film. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> I'd be and and it's it. I mean, it's, one thing I will say: it's very diverse. It's got it. It's got its diversity quotas there. But I just, I just, I just miss. I just miss good movies. I really do. I do too. Uh, Endeavor. Any best and worst uh, uh, from last year, and what are you looking forward to in 2024, if anything? Well, unfortunately, I actually can't answer the question within the uh, perimeters that you've set because um, I didn't watch a movie that came out in 2023. I didn't watch a single one. I don't think unless I'm forgetting something, I haven't been to the movie theater since 2020 since before COVID it's been like four years since I've actually seen a movie in the theater. So, well, the real answer is that is none of none because I didn't watch any movies that came out in 2023, believe it or not. It's actually quite easy to believe these days. However, I will. Uh, I I looked up. I just took a quick scan at the Wikipedia, and this one was released in 2022. But a couple at the very end, and they start. It started streaming on Netflix in 2023, in beginning of January. So I got one choice. Uh, it's the movie Pale Blue Eye, um, the Pale Blue Eye with Christian Bale. Uh, Christian Bale is my favorite contemporary actor, and uh, the. The plot of the movie basically it's a it's a uh, neo gothic murder mystery thriller. Uh, it's set in America in in New York New York State in 1830. Uh, Christian Bale plays a retired detective uh, uh, who is investigating a murder at at a um, U.S. military academy. I'm pretty sure that the the um, the it's based on a book, but I'm pretty sure it was inspired by the poetry of Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, Poe is a character in the in, in the movie, so he's a young cadet at this military academy. Really good film. Uh, it's very atmospheric. Really, they really capture the the, the neo gothic vibes. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, here's something that that you got to mention these days: no diversity in sight, not one. It's a totally 100% European cast. So just a breath of fresh air in that regard. Because uh, you know, you, 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 I just thought throughout the movie, okay, when are they going to have the, the this black guy pop out and like grin at the camera and like and dance around so that they show? Didn't happen in the movie. Just completely uh, devoid of all modern day political bullshit. So I would say that the twist at the end was, I think, could have been handled a bit better. 
but overall a solid film one that i liked and uh if well it's the only one that i saw that was released in 2023 but it was it was a good one i, I liked it and if you want a good thriller uh that is totally devoid of all the political messaging these days choose that one and well i can't choose a worse one so, because i didn't watch a movie again uh but i'll say I'll, I'll go back to 2022 i watched two movies that came out in 2022 one of them was top gun maverick which i actually quite liked uh the one, the, the one that I didn't like at all was uh, the remake of, um, what was it called? Death on the Nile, uh, the Agatha Christie book. Oh, that's uh, so dreadful. Yeah. It's horrible. And, and it's a shame because Kenneth Braun is a great actor. He's, uh, and he, he's a good Hercule Poirot. Poirot. He, he actually fits the part. But you just see that this movie, it, it's just, I mean, it, it takes place. I reviewed in the 19, it. Yeah. It takes place I reviewed in the 1930s. it in Counter-Curse. It takes place in the 1930s, and you'd think that London was blacker than it is today back then. <laughs> yeah, watch yeah. this movie. It's, it, it's unbelievable. It is, it is absolutely ridiculous negrolatry. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it, it's, it's, like, it's repulsive and laughable. Uh, so, and it, it could have been a good movie. Uh, I, I also reviewed the, I guess it's 1977 uh, Death on the Nile that has Peter yes. Ustinov in it. Why That's a fabulous that movie. It's excellent, yeah. and it has it has David Niven in it. <laughs> well, well, yeah. how, could you, how could you go wrong? Why it's got David be... Niven, Maggie Smith, uh, Betty Davis. Uh, yeah, a, a, a really fantastic cast. Uh, read my review on Countercurrents of the Two because yeah. I was kind of proud of that. I I was just disgusted by the Brana thing, and it I, is I'm not horrible. Yeah. And, and, and it's for all the reasons you imagine, because it, you know, it, it's, it's just cramming diversity in your face the entire time. And of course, you know, they have to have some LGBT thing, which wasn't in the original, uh, wasn't even anywhere. They had to have the, the black woman who's like perfect in every way. And they have to have the white male character like fawning over in her and talking about how she's the greatest thing in the world. And who's the villains? They have two of those. Black goddess. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and who's the and who's the villain in the end? It's the only heterosexual white couple. Well, who would have thought? Who would have seen that? Well, all I gotta say is, you did. You don't need her cue Perot to figure out that mystery. So yeah, garbage yeah. movie. Don't yeah. watch it. Uh, watch the 1970s version instead. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, gentlemen, I've really enjoyed this. We should wrap up. Uh, first of all, Paul, how do people follow your work? Wow, great question. Um, I'm one of the bloggers at UNS with with the inimitable Steve Saylor. So you can go to UNS.com. Ron UNS, of course, is a world historic treasure, in my opinion. Uh, so you can go to UNS.com forward slash, I think, SBPDL. You can go to the Twitter. I'm careful about giving this away, but whatever. Um, I think it's, uh, hold on, what is it? It's uh, twitter.com forward slash BWLH underscore. I'm really excited because um, this upcoming April in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, Amanda Milius uh, is going to be joining VDARE uh, for the conference. And her dad, of course, is John Milius, who wrote Red Dawn, Conan the, or he directed Conan the Barbarian and Red Dawn, and he wrote so many of the amazing 1970s films. I believe he wrote some of the more uh, iconic dialogue from Dirty Harry and um, the subsequent sequels and stuff. His daughter, Amanda Milius, is going to be speaking. I can't wait to meet her because the iconic line from Red Dawn is, because we live here. Uh, so that's kind of where the Kersey character went. And then... Um, I do a podcast with Jared Taylor and now the great Gregory Hood every week uh, at American Renaissance, which I'm excited because uh, Gregory Hood, I think, Greg, you'd agree with, with me. He's one of the more profound uh, individuals in our sphere who are pushing things forward. So a lot of exciting things happening. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Endeavor, how do people follow your work? Substack, Twitter. Uh, YouTube and Telegram um, under the na same name. Excellent. And Morgoth, how do people follow your work? 
same uh, YouTube and Substack. Uh, everything I do goes on Substack. And tomorrow we'll be doing classic movies on my YouTube channel, Me and Endeavor. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so, guys, uh, thank you so much. I want to thank all the uh, people out there in the audience. You have a very healthy audience tonight. Uh, thanks for the people who said in the super chats. Uh, thank you also for the moderators uh, and uh, our audience. Uh, we will be back next week with an episode of the Countercurrents Book Club. This is our second episode. And the guests uh, will be uh, F. Roger Devlin, Mike Maxwell, and Mark Gullick. And the topic will be my book, the Trial of Socrates. So if you want to tune in and hear me answer questions about the Trial of Socrates, join us next week for the book club. We're trying to do the Countercurrents book club on the first Saturday of every month, if possible. And uh, we are featuring Countercurrents books and other books from allied publishers. And uh, we hope that this will be a, a new tradition. And so Please join us next week uh, for the Countercurrents Book Club. Thank you very much. Bye.